On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about stink. Full-on, nose-bending, nose-hair-burning stink. The kind that, well, if your neighbor was creating this kind of stink, which apparently is happening in Stony Creek with people who are growing marijuana in big quantities, should the city be getting involved to try and save the other neighbors from that smell? We'll be talking about that one. Also, if you love Shakespeare... Stay with us. If you hated Shakespeare in school, stay with us. Because there's something called Shakespeareance that you're going to want to hear about. And finally, we're going to be chatting about, well, a lot of stuff to do with sports with Don Robertson. Specifically, though, is dodgeball an oppressive tool to put down the weak, or is it a useful tool in high school phys ed? We'll talk about all that stuff after this. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I am not a marijuana enthusiast, shall we say. Not someone who has ever tried the stuff. So some of you right now are going, you naive fool. Well, maybe. But I'm just, it's just not my thing. And I've never done it. However, that does not mean that I am not familiar with the scent the aroma, the bouquet of said cannabis sativa. I, I, I know, I've been to concerts. I have been at concerts next to folks who are more than making up for my lack of use with their abundance of use. Let's put it that way. I have sat through concerts in clouds of the stuff. So I kind of get, and we're going to get into this, I kind of understand because I don't think it's exactly the same but you can get the idea. There are complaints. There have been some complaints that people who are growing their own product are creating a bit of a stink in the city. And Councillor Brad Clark, Ward 9 Councillor Brad Clark is stepping forward, trying to step forward to do something about this to make it so that folks in their homes are not forced to smell this all the time. Uh, He joins me now. Brad Clark joins me. Sir, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How big a problem is this? Because now maybe I just live in a different part of town, but I've never smelled anyone's plot of marijuana growth affecting me. How big an issue is this? In Ward 9, we're experiencing it because we have a situation where uh, apparently some people who received personal use licenses from Health Canada combined their licenses together to create a large nursery and they're growing over 2,200 plants. And I mean, stupid question on my part, so forgive me. And I'm guessing though that some of the listeners will share this stupid question. I know what pot smells like when it's being smoked. Does it have the same odor when it's just being grown? It smells like a skunk's butt. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, it, It smells like a very strong skunk. So it is very similar to when it's being smoked. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. From my perspective, I've smelled it when people are smoking it at concerts and things like that. It doesn't smell quite the same. The intensity of this coming from a nursery that does not have any odor control on it is, is, uh, uh vile and, okay. and it burns your throat and it, you know, talking to neighbors and, and, uh, there's upwards of 2000 neighbors that are living just uh, west of this facility they can't even go outside to barbecue because the smell is so bad in a hot summer day. And this, and again, as a, presumably this is all outdoor growth. This is not in some sort of greenhouse or something. It's in a greenhouse, a large greenhouse that is not regulated by Health Canada. So it has no odor control. 
it has no light control on it. Um, it, it's, it falls completely outside of the spectrum for Health Canada. Health Canada regulates licensed producers for medical use and uh, commercial use, and the rules are very strict for those. And I've, got, I've been to those licensed producers, and you don't smell the odor of cannabis outside of those facilities. They have very high-tech carbon filters that are um, exchanging the air constantly, and you, and you simply don't smell it. This is not that type of facility. This is a facility that is, is uh, breaching a, a loophole, and the residents are paying for it, um, and they can't use their own backyards when the smell is that, that vile. And I'm only guessing that if it's this bad outside, I can't even imagine what it would be inside the thing then. I suspect it would be overpowering. Um, but the residents, I, I mean, the, the residents, the, this, this complaint started almost two years ago. Uh, with the previous councillor and with councillor Brenda Johnson, and and we were struggling as a council to find a solution to it, because Health Canada simply was unwilling to step up and say you can't combine these personal use licenses to create a nursery. That's that's not um, uh, legal, and so since it won't go down that road, it seems to be an unregulated industry right now. And I'm hearing more and more from other municipalities who are looking at similar bylaws because they're experiencing the same thing. It does sound though, Brad, like that would be a very, very obvious loophole. I mean, one of those things you would have said, Hey, let's just get together and do this. And honestly, who's going to count the number of plants? If I'm allowed, I don't even know what the number is, but if I'm allowed X number of plants, who's really going to come by and count them? This is a great loophole. Yeah. I probably got whiplash shaking my head when I heard about it. Um, it just, it makes no sense. And, and it, it seems that the people who are in charge of Health Canada aren't interested in devising new policy and the politicians federally are not interested in, in, in stepping up to create, um, restrictions. And so it's, it's, it falls to the municipalities to look at our bylaws and look at the municipal act. And we have the authority to regulate nuisances and illumination. Um, and in this case, the odor is, is very clearly um, a nuisance. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Councillor Brad Clark, Ward 9 Councillor Brad Clark is trying to bring forward a motion that would perhaps bring a bylaw to help again for neighbours whose other neighbours have decided to combine their licences and create a nursery to grow vast amounts of marijuana that apparently, so we are told, is particularly putrid. Uh, Brad, why just marijuana though? And, and I mean, look, I, I understand certainly where you're coming from on this is a current complaint, this is an issue in front of us right now, but... I, as far as I understand it, the city doesn't have any kind of bylaw on smells, on offensive smells right now. Why stop at marijuana? Because historically, the Ministry of Environment has handled odor complaints from industries. So, for example, uh, landfills, um, uh, petroleum industries, uh, steel industries, um, uh, zinc plating industries, paint industries... They're all required to have scrubbers, carbon filters, and very high-tech um, ventilation systems that sucks in the air from the outside and puts it through through filters and scrubbers. And so the impact out into the neighborhood um, is, is not does not happen. In this situation, these folks are falling outside of a loophole or, or through a loophole with Health Canada. If you were a licensed producer of cannabis, for medical or commercial, you are required to have 
the air filtration systems, um, um, a sealed building, security, lighting restrictions, a whole whole host of restrictions. Um, and these folks are falling through that loophole. So the city has no choice but to look at some form of uh, amendment to the nuisance bylaw to cover off odor for this particular complaint. But what if it was not a corporation? What if it was your neighbor who decided they were going to fertilize their lawn by spraying liquid manure, which I know has happened before. We've smelled it down our street. Or if, I mean, look, as much as I may love curry, what if a neighbor is using some sort of pungent spices in the neighborhood that you don't particularly like? I mean, is there any, is there any recourse if you were really angry about a neighbor in your words or your thoughts stinking up the neighborhood? If you create a nuisance bylaw that is strict enough, you could cover off numerous odors. That's not the intent of the council. Um, a lot of, of, of the minor uh, things that you're talking about are transient. They, they happen once in a blue moon and they're gone. Mm, okay. This is not that type of odor. This is an odor that starts in the height of the growing season and stays there until well into the fall. Um, and, and that's just... It, it, we can't allow um, such a, a business to put such a significant impact on the residents' peaceful enjoyment of their home and for I, that period of time. It, it, it's just wrong. And if the feds won't do something about it, then the municipality is going to have to. And I, I understand your point, and it's a fair point, I think, that says that if it's transient, so if it is someone who's cooking and you don't particularly like the smell, or if someone has a bonfire, I guess, in their backyard or whatever, that's going to go away. I suppose the, the liquid manure, which, again, we've had, is like, okay, that'll last a little bit longer. But it also, uh, regardless, unless it's there all the time, becomes pretty difficult to enforce. You send somebody out, and then it's not as bad today as it was yesterday, and therefore, am I really going to give a ticket? That's exactly one of the issues, and that's that's why most municipalities have not looked at this type of thing. But I was struck that Norfolk and and, and Haldeman and and Niagara and other areas, I've heard from councillors, they heard through the media about us considering this, and they're wanting to know more, because they're finding that their lawyers are saying, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, the Municipal Act makes it very clear municipalities can act and they can put in a nuisance bylaw that would cover such uh, offensive odors. The closest thing I could think, and it's not exactly the same, obviously, but would be a, a noise bylaw. We have a noise bylaw and that there are... When it's applied, I guess, is when it becomes really egregious. And I suppose that would be the closest thing we would have that may be comparable to this. Yes, the nuisance bylaw has not been updated in, in, in many, many years. Um, for the most part, it, it addresses um, urinating and defecating in public, things along those lines. So it, it really is, has not been a strong bylaw. But it is a bylaw that already is on the books, and we can amend it to include such things as illumination. These nurseries are using very powerful nights at, at, at light to try to promote the growth of the cannabis as quickly as possible, well, you can well imagine if your housing uh, is close to that facility, <laughs> it, it's it's bothersome. It's it's kind of like the Griswold movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Should we expect, do you expect that this is going to be something, now that cannabis growing it is legal, uh, do you expect that this is going to be a bigger issue, that more and more people are going to find this loophole and do this? Do, I mean, is this going to be something that if we don't do something, we're going to have more problems with? I'm I'm hearing that through the grapevine now that 
people are aware of the loophole, and so they're they're going to exploit it uh, to make money. Uh, and it's happening not just in Hamilton, it's happening right across the province. So until the feds in the province really look at the, the, the regulations and try to, to change that loophole, municipalities are going to have to do something to protect residents' peaceful use of their property. Brad Clark, Ward 9 Councillor, I appreciate the time for this today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's... Uh I could I could understand now again I've not been near one of these grow ops for lack of a better term I know it's not exactly a grow op not in the illegal term but if it really stinks that badly I can certainly understand why the neighbors would be ticked off because again we've had people do the liquid manure near our house and for days it smells like you've got your nose up a cow's butt not pleasant and if that's going on for months I I get that I get that You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Time for a little true confessions here on the Scott Radley Show. Nothing terribly embarrassing, but back in high school, I was not a big fan of William Shakespeare. I know, I know that probably does not make me sound terribly cultured or erudite or whatever, but I, again, true confessions, I kind of thought it was boring. (gasps) I know, I know some of you just had a coronary, but I would probably feel worse about that if I didn't know that some of you listening shared that perspective, shared that point of view. Many high school students dreaded when it came time for Shakespeare diving into the works of the Bard. And if we are being very honest, some of you listening even long after high school still do. Yeah, given a choice between reading Shakespeare or say having a root canal without anesthetic, it would be a tough call for some of you. So thank goodness. Thank goodness for my next guest. Uh, Marvin Caron is a drama coach and the man behind something called Shakespeareans. He is here to save us from ourselves. Marvin, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me on, Scott. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, so let, let's deal with the, the elephant in the room right off the bat. Cause when people say they don't like Shakespeare and you know that there are people who say they don't like Shakespeare, what right. is the reason for that? What do you say to them? Well, that's two different questions. Like the reason for that, I think, is the language. I mean, the language is a bit of a challenge. Um, he wrote uh, in in a style that uh, his Elizabethan audiences would have absolutely loved. But in the 21st century, we uh, we don't talk that way anymore. Um, in terms of overcoming that challenge, um, uh, Shakespeareans is is a three pronged sort of enterprise. We uh, get into over 100 schools a year and uh, more than two dozen boards of education all over the province of Ontario. We run an after-hours program for at-risk youth and a summer program for under-resourced kids. And when I go into the schools and do Shakespeare workshops, um, very often, or I guess not so often, but a few times a year, I'll go in and I'll do a workshop for English as a second language student. And I'll say, where are you from? And they'll say, I'm from Korea, or I am from Iran, or I'm from China. And I say, who's your, who's your favorite author, your favorite Chinese author, your favorite Iranian author? They'll mention a name. I said, if you were to go to the heart of downtown Hamilton, heart of downtown Toronto, and you were to stop 10 people on the street, how many people do you think would know the name of your favorite author? Because I'm embarrassed to tell you, I've never heard of them. And they would say, zero. And I would say, and if we went to Tehran, or if we went to Beijing, or we went to Hanoi, and we were st- stood on a street corner, and we said, 
you know, the name Shakespeare out of 10 people. How many people do you think would know that name? And the, inv- the answer is invariably 10. Everybody would know who Shakespeare was. So there's something going on here. Um, R.H. Thompson, the award-winning Canadian actor who helped me get this off the ground 21 years ago, um, he once said that um, Shakespeare is the only international author. And his insights into what makes us human um, are what makes him endlessly fascinating and why I think he'll be around forever. I can only imagine how you translate some of Shakespeare into some of these other languages, though, if they are familiar with him, if they do, or do they learn it in English? Um, it's a great question. You know, I, I suspect, you know, maybe there must be translations and stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's just, he is, I think, the Library of Congress um, in, in, in Washington. There's, you know, more books written about Jesus than, than, than any other figure in, in the history of the world. And number two on that list is William Shakespeare. So there's something going on here. And I think that, um, you know, he's been around for 450 years for a really good reason. And, um, you know, to, yeah, and, and, and I understand the challenge, um, but you know, it, it's not that difficult to overcome that challenge and to tap into everything he has to offer us. I'm trying to imagine iambic pentameter in Mandarin. It's, I'll, I'll figure <laughs> out that one later. Hey, why do you love Shakespeare? Because obviously you do. What, what got you into it? Why do you love it? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I just, I think, again, it's the elegance of the language. I mean, and, and you know, I, 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 I wrap up my, uh, excuse me, as, as you can tell, a little horse, I'm just getting over a cold, but um, when I go in and I wrap up the school workshops, um, I, I, you know, I, I talk about the fact that, you know, um, Everybody, and, you know, if we go and do the uh, Romeo and Juliet workshop, say, for a grade 9 class, um, you know, everybody has fallen in love. And I say, I mean, you know, when, when Romeo sees Juliet from afar at the party, at the Capulet party, and says, oh, she doth teach the torches to burn bright, beauty too rich for use, for earth too dear, so shows a snowy dove trooping with crows, as yonder lady or her fellow shows. I tell the kids, there's just, nobody's going to, convince me that there isn't something more compelling and exciting and dynamic about that than saying the same thing in, in the context of, uh, she's hot. You have that, you have that, you have uh, some verses from Song of Solomon, which I can't even know if we can talk about them on the radio because they're a little risque, and, yeah. and then you've got your hot. So yeah, you're absolutely right that it is certainly more poetic and more beautiful. And, 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 and Scott, the thing too is, is that, you know, I mean, if it was just infatuation or love and the sonnet, shall I compare thee to a summer day, thou art more lovely and more temperate, if he had just captured what love was all about in, in, in his plays and sonnets, that would have ensured his place in immortality. But love, ambition, greed, um, family relationships, there's not an aspect of the human condition that you can, you can name that Shakespeare didn't address with that kind of eloquence, the same amount of eloquence and, 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 and fullness and fulsomeness that he, that he addresses the issue of love and infatuation. Um, as I think I may have communicated in a, an email, we're, we're going to be running a Shakespearean summer program. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
Talking with Marvin Caron, who is the man behind Shakespeareans. Uh, people who love Shakespeare, they're going to love this. People who don't love Shakespeare, they are going to love this. And tell us why. Tell us about Shakespeareans. Well, as I suggested in the first segment, we started as a 20-school pilot program for the Toronto District School Board. We now get into more than 100 schools at uh, 20, more than two dozen boards of education all over the province of Ontario. I've been overseas in the UK and in Chicago with Dion Johnson, the former Stratford star who's now doing King Lear on Broadway with uh, Glenda Jackson. Um, we then expanded into a summer program for under-resourced kids in Toronto in 2005. And um, a year later, we started our after-hours program for at-risk youth, which, uh, and, and the latter two, uh, I myself, I was born and raised in Hamilton in Westdale, went to Westdale Secondary School, and then went to uh, U of T to get my degree and trained as an actor in Montreal and spent a couple of decades doing that. And then uh, with R.H. Thompson in 1998, we started Shakespeareans, and as I say, uh, for the first time in its 15-year history, we're hoping to move the summer and after-hours program uh, back to my hometown of Hamilton, and that's uh, going to be happening in July um, here in uh, in the ambitious city, Hamilton. And I also understand you have also been a drama coach, including, do I understand that you were Drake's acting coach? I was Drake's acting coach when he was on Degrassi, and I have been pursuing him for, for like, it's, it's got to be almost 10 years, and I just emailed somebody who knows. I'm trying to sit down and get through to the guy, and, and, and I would love to just have, you know, him sort of lay his hands, metaphorically speaking, on, on Shakespeare's in the same way that Sir Kenneth Branagh mm. has done, uh, the British uh, film and stage star, who's done so much to uh, popularize Shakespeare. But, um, yeah, I, I taught him, and, um, and, and, and I would love to get him into the Shakespeareans' orbit. It's, a, it's a, as I say, a long-standing uh, uh, pursuit of mine, and I'm hoping that one day I will be successful. And we'll have him as a patron. Before today, when I knew you were going to be coming on, I went online and I watched some videos of you teaching. And one of the things that strikes me very clearly is your passion about this, your enthusiasm about this, your love of the subject. And that bleeds through onto the people you're teaching. Anytime someone is really enthusiastic, if they have any gifts of teaching at all, it's usually going to lead to that being passed on to some degree. And so uh, forgive me for that long intro, but it leads me to a, maybe a touchy point are most teachers who teach Shakespeare in high school as enthusiastic or maybe even as qualified to teach this stuff in order to make this interesting to the students? Well, you know, again, Scott, I think there's a place for both. I mean, you know, again, I mean, you were talking in your, in your lead about how, how boring and dull you found it. And, I, you know, I, I, I think there's all sorts of value to be gained from, you know, looking for the metaphors, looking at the alliteration, looking at the language, looking at the similes, all that sort of stuff. But I do think that, yes, I mean, like, you know, what I tell the kids, like, you wouldn't sit down with Beethoven's Fifth and go, ha, 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 in your easy chair, you know? <laughs> you're true. not going to be doing that, you know? And it's uh, Shakespeare. You don't teach people that it's boring. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Shakespeare's music is the same. They, it, it was never intended to be, to be, to be read. 99.9% .9 of his audience in the day, they, they were illiterate. They couldn't read, they couldn't write, and um, they, they just knew his plays through what they saw of them uh, on stage. And, and so I think getting them up on their feet, you, you get underneath them, and, and again, that's, that's what we try and do with the kids in, in, in the summer and, and after-hours programs, and what we do in this class as well. 
I just, I really believe that if it's enthusiastically taught and if it's, if you are watching the teacher and believing that it's exciting, they're probably going to believe it's exciting. Well, that, that, that's probably true, too. And, and again, as we said in your first segment there, I mean, there's just, the guy is endless. He's bottomless. Um, there, there's, you, you know, you, you can, I, I read Hamlet when I was in university, and I, you know, there, you come back to it 40 years later, it's a totally different play. Hmm. So um, there's a lot to be enthusiastic about, I guess is what I'm saying. And, um, you know, so, so it, it's not hard to find the passion, or at least it never has been for me. One of the amazing things about Shakespeare, and I didn't realize this until recently, is the long list of words that he created in his plays that we now use every single day, but that had never been used before he wrote them. Thousands and, and, and turns of phrases as well, upstairs, downstairs, bathroom. Uh, these are all words that, uh, that, that Shakespeare made up because, I mean, again, Bob Thompson, R.H. Thompson, you know, we're a very visual society uh, because of the TV screens and the movie screens, and the computer screens we're on all day. Shakespeare's audience, needless to say, they didn't have that. They're a much more Oral, A-U-R-A-L, their, their first sense was, was, was sound, not sight. In Midsummer Night's Dream, when the Mechanicals are putting on their play at the end of the, of the show, uh, Theseus does not say to Hippolyta, Madam, shall we see this play? He says, Madam, shall we hear this play, right? So it's a totally different way of looking at the world. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think uh, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's something that you've you got to bring to bear when, when, when you're looking at the old man, as, as Douglas Rain, my artistic director at the National Theatre School of Canada, used to say. Marvin, we're, uh, sadly we're out of time, so I'd love to do this for another hour. Uh, if someone was interested, because I know you're doing this here in Hamilton, as you said a couple times, and it's for people who may not be financially in the strongest position. If someone's interested, how do they get in touch? How do they get connected to this? We've got a website, shakespeareance.ca, S-H-A-K-E-S-P-E-A-R-I-E-N-C, shakespeareance.ca. The boards, the Hamilton Wentworth Catholic Board and the Hamilton Wentworth Board, very, very supportive. There's posts on theirs. It's a free summer program from July 2nd to July 25th. No charge. You work with professional actors. You put on scenes tied together by a scene that will go on in a professional theater on the evening of Thursday, July 25th. Stage combat, movement, voice, uh, workshops, it's fantastic, and, and uh, we've got about six or eight spots left to fill. So just go onto the website. There's application forms there. There's videos there, or they can call this number, 289-389-1091. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in the man who's here every Monday at this time, Don Robertson from the Dundas Real McCoys and Calm Choice Realty and various and other other things. And by the way, uh, if you're calling in, the lines are ringing, so let them ring. Ben will get to you as fast as he can. Don't hang up. We're not ignoring you, I promise. Uh, Don Robertson, various and sundry other things. I think I said that wrong. I don't know what I said, but it's been Sundays. a long day. Sundays. Yeah, I it's like ice cream. It's, Sundays, it's, that's it. It's been a long day already. How are you? I'm all right. I'm batching it tonight. Are you? Uh, Suze is away with her boss, Leanne, and her co-worker, Suzanne, and I suspect they're probably going to work till 11 o'clock or at some retreat somewhere, so they'll they'll just work right through. There'll be no fun involved at all. No. And I'll take care of the dog and go home and cut grass for 40 minutes after the show. That's Life doesn't always seem fair, does it? Well, and then have how many pops? Eight, 10, 12? Yeah, I'm going to have a cup of tea when I'm done. Uh-huh. Uh, it's okay. You know, you'll make the best of it. <laughs> it's a nice day to cut the grass. Went to huh? Camp 31 with an old buddy today for lunch. And he said, what are the ribs like? So he got them and left some for me, so I know what I'm having for dinner. And, and Camp 31 
is a famous rib truck uh, that travels all across Canada and has a restaurant in Paris. Hmm. So it's uh, quite delightful. Uh, well, thanks for being in here. I, uh, you look warmer than I am. I'm still chilly from today. The, the, it's supposed to be really nice the rest it of the week. It was 60 degrees out. With a 90 mile an hour wind. <laughs> no, yeah, 90 mile an hour north wind. It was, <laughs> I had a bunch of people today say, you're a wimp. It was, it was 16 degrees. It's not that cold. It's like, yeah, it's fine until the wind is blowing straight at you and it's freezing cold wind. Well, that, that's, uh, I was outside moving some pots around for 15 minutes before I headed in here and it, it is windy. I mean, I'm out in the country and it is, it's not pleasant. There's it's no be- snow, but it's, it could. It's supposed to be much, much nicer the rest of the week up at the Canadian Open. Here's the thing, though. I couldn't help but think. Remember last year, last winter, so like a year and a bit ago, the NBA All-Star Game was in Toronto, and it was the coldest cold snap in the history of Toronto cold snaps. I mean, the entire city was about to crack because it was so cold. And all I could think today at the Open was, how many of these American golfers who are up here for the first time ever we're just feeding the stereotype. Oh, look, Canada's still freezing and it's it's yeah, June. It well, that's that was always a nice part about being July. And then when they moved it, for obvious reasons, to get away from the British Open, it seemed to make sense to me. And it, and it should have still made sense. It and, still does. And, and Yeah, it does. And the fields indicated that it's it was a good move to get away from the British Open. We'll look at all the stars that are there. But I'm thinking the same thing. I was uh, driving around this afternoon listening to you with Scott... Uh, um, Thompson. Scott Thompson this afternoon, and I think, and these poor Americans are going to come up here and say, when does it thaw out up here, July? <laughs> That's right. They're expecting to see a polar bear run across the And we're fairway. all bitching and squawking about the weather, but anyway, it'll be fine. It's going to be in the 20s all week. It's it'll be nice. It's sunny. It'll be fine. No, it'll be nice. It's going to be good, and uh, anyone who's going up there, I understand. Now, uh, I'm not being paid for this. I want to make that clear, but uh, tickets sold out on Friday, almost sold out Saturday. And so if you're wanting to go, and here's the thing, and like, again, I'm not being paid for this. I get nothing out of this, but it's an event that is worth seeing. I really say that every time. And it's, the tickets are cheap tomorrow and the next day. It's like 30 bucks or 35 bucks to go and see the practice rounds and see the golfers up close and see the course. It's, it's, it's worth it. And you know, you can park at the fairgrounds in Ancaster. And you have to, but pretty much. Yeah. There's going to be nowhere to park. Um, And it's going to be like a... 12 minute bus ride maybe it, it's it's like a 6 minute trip but count on 10 minutes so it's going to be but very But it's a shuttle you don't have to bu- you don't have to wait for a city bus they have shuttles Yeah going absolutely yeah. yes sorry No no it's And it'll be very handy and I talked to a couple guys at golf there that that have really reiterated what you had said earlier that the course looks fat I mean the, it's great grass weather it's got lots of lots of rain it, you know, likes cold nights, and so it's been perfect. So if it warms up, the conditions will be fabulous. It's not hard, so they're not going to roll, you know, uh, an extra 75 yards. No. But I said I, I thought this, and somebody, again, today told me that they thought I was out of my mind, but I'm going to stand by it, and that is uh, I've been to Augusta. I've been to the Masters. That is the greenest place on earth. That is the most perfectly pristine, flawless green place ever between the trees and the grass and it's all I mean it's a perfect tableau of green this was a close second what they've got going right now up there this is a close it's not the same but you will never see a more beautiful place around Hamilton right now than than the way they've got the Hamilton course set up no disrespect to Golf Canada but I'm assuredly based on reports uh, a lot from you that the media center won't be as nice at the Hamilton Golf and Country Club as it is Augusta Uh, no not quite not quite. Then again, the at Augusta National, where 
they have more money than they could possibly spend in 47 lifetimes. Uh, it was two years ago, I think, or three years ago, they built a new $60 million media center. This year they spent it, built a new, I think, $50 million merchandise building just because mm-hmm. what else are you going to do with your money? We can't get an arena built here in Hamilton. Yeah. Can't get it finished anyway. <laughs> is the Great Meyer Arena done yet? Uh, I'm going this week. Um, the contractor, I believe, is out. They had 93% completion, according to the architect, so the contractor has worked to Everything but the roof? Yeah, and the uh, the city of, uh, they're going to take over inside and finish up. They've got to move into their offices and uh, uh, spoke with Dan McKinnon. They're going to fire up um, the compressors and, and probably put ice in. Uh, you know, it hasn't ran in two years. You got your fingers crossed that it starts? Well, they've done pressure tests and everything else, but what they don't want to do, which is very clever, they don't want to start firing it up in August and go, oh, we got a problem with this. Can you imagine that? Uh-huh. So they're going to do it now. To make sure good idea everything it's very smart the city have done they're very clever they're doing a lot of extra things and it's going to be for minor hockey it will be spectacular and the visitors to come again the arena portion has was never touched the only thing that's uh, going into the seating area that anybody will notice any change in is a walking track and that's pretty common in new buildings so did they add some new bathrooms uh, yeah well, of course all the oh. all about but the dressing rooms downstairs will all be almost triple the size that they used to be. So minor hockey will be playing in so a So now they'll be the size field. of a walk-in closet. Yes. Because <laughs> before it was the size of a broom closet. And for those wondering, because Russ Powers and I uh, co-chaired the project, uh, the Dundas Real McCoys and the Junior C Blues dressing rooms were not touched and are no bigger and will be the smallest rooms in the building now. But that's fine. It's all about minor hockey. Let me go back to the golf for just a second. Are you heading up to the Canadian Open at any point this week? I'm going uh, Sunday for sure and probably before. And oddly enough, I had a a cup of tea with my neighbor yesterday, and they have tickets for Friday because they want to go to the concert and realized that it was also included. Like he bought tickets so they they could go to the concert and now realized that it includes the golf. Mm -hmm. So he's, is it Friday or Saturday? Friday. Yeah, I, I'm waiting to see. Which is, which is why Friday sold out and well, Saturday isn't. I'm waiting to see, and I, I said this earlier today, whether on Friday there are more people at the concert wearing ping hats and golf shoes or more people on the golf course wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. Because <laughs> I, I know that more people bought tickets for the concert than for the golf. I mean, there's just, you, it has to because otherwise the, all the other days of golf would have sold out already. Um and the fact that the tickets are going for 200, 225 bucks on the secondary market on StubHub and stuff, there's, there's I demand think, for this. I think they paid 60 bucks through RBC. They bought them through RBC. They may bank through them, may mm-hmm. have got a notice, but they got a really good, they think that's a great deal for the concert. Oh yeah. Let alone the golf yep. all day. So, so, but it'll be interesting to see if there's how, or not, there'll be some, but how many people will be there for golf in the morning? Because a lot of people just want to go for the concert, yeah. may show up at six o'clock to watch an hour of golf, maybe. It'd be a long day. It'd a be long, long day, day for me. Can, be be, can you day. imagine getting there at eight o'clock in the morning and then going to the concert? Well, you can ask me about it on Saturday. Are you going to do it? I'll be there. I'll be there at six in the morning. And you're going to go to the concert? I'll stick around and watch a bit of it. I'm not a country fan per se, but I'll- Do you want to see the event? I'll check it out. Sure. Uh this to me, and uh, this to me, the Canadian Open, and you've been up there before for this one, and this is why I don't really care who wins. I don't have a rooting interest in who wins this event. 
I mean, it'd be great if it was a well-known guy. It'd be better if it was Mackenzie Hughes or one of the other Canadians. To me, this has almost nothing to do with golf. This is just a week-long opportunity for Hamilton to look great around the rest of the country and around the world. Because every image that is beamed around Canada and around North America is nothing but beautiful pictures of Hamilton. Well, from my perspective, the stars have aligned. If you're in tourism, the tourism business in Hamilton and in Toronto, uh, it's going to be a pretty good month. Uh, and they're fortunate that the Raptors are going to be in Oakland for the time, although the games will be a big, you know, big draw on TV. But for tourism, for um, national U.S. Um, television coverage to show how beautiful our city is, and they never show, whenever they're in a community, they never show the bad parts of the community. You know, they'll they'll show the highlights and how wonderful the waterfalls are and the lake frontage and Toronto are getting the tremendous uh, value of the world, mm-hmm. really the basketball world, which is a different demographic than the golf world, I'm sure. I mean, there's some crossover. Absolutely, absolutely. But, boy, what a home run for Ontario. That Doug Ford really knows how to do this stuff. The, the thing about Hamilton, about the Canadian Open with this one, is I don't want to put down the steel mills because heaven knows the steel mills built this city and have paid for a lot of people to have a lot of good lives and make a lot of money and all the rest. But it's nice for a change when you are going to watch something that that's not the thing that identifies Hamilton around the rest of the country. Because you will not, I don't think you'll see a steel mill in the coverage of this anywhere. That's what I mean. Like, So Hamil- it's fine. Hamilton's a city of waterfalls. So when, not, we, when we had the Allen Cup in 2014, uh, the TV broadcast featured the peak in Dundas. They they talked about the waterfalls, and that's what they do. That's what that's what broadcast uh, companies do, and people that are showcasing your community. And you're right, Stelco and Defasco were a big part of the heritage heritage of this community. They're and nothing not, to be ashamed of at all. No, but they're not the largest employers anymore. But every time you watch a Ticat game, simply because of the location of the stadium invariably there will be a wide shot and in the background is all the steel mills. And that's fine, but that to me in some ways reinforces the Hamilton that a lot of people around the country believe is everything about Hamilton. And so for this one week, it's nice that it's a different view. Well, it's, uh, I'll never give up on this one. Had they built the stadium where they should have built it, they would have been looking over the bay and they would have been looking over the water. You know, which is just on the other side of the railway tracks. If they'd have put it down near the water for CFL purposes, it would have been far better. And you know what? Tourism and economic boom and everything else, it's important that that uh, people across Canada that watch Ticat games realize we're a lot more than Steel City now. Yeah. it's a, it's a, To me, it's a real, that, that's one of the really big things about this. It's a, it's a great event. It's a lot of fun. People who go all seem to enjoy themselves. I didn't see anybody walking around today looking miserable. Even with the wind, even with the wind, it was it was as I say, it was nippy, it was fresh, but uh, but it was fine. But it's a it's a huge opportunity for people just to see a different side of the city that we don't that we don't normally project outside of our borders. Thank God it didn't snow. Well, there's always tomorrow. Some people were there in shorts. There you go. I know. I saw them. And a parka. <laughs> no, it wasn't a parka. It was just a fleece. I should have worn a parka. There were people wearing a lot more than I was wearing. They were the smart ones. They were the smart. And toques, lots of toques and lots of mitts. Which, yeah, which That's not right in June. <laughs> see, 
that that is not right in June. And this time last year, my wife and I were over in Africa. We were in Uganda, and it was about seventy-five degrees at night. And the people there, the security guards at this place we were staying, were wearing toques and parkas and gloves. And it was seventy-five degrees, and for them, that was absolutely freezing. And I'm thinking, oh, we would never be that wimpy. <laughs> Wrong. They were up at the golf course today wearing gloves and wearing it was wearing toques. It was fresh. That was a good term. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, did you watch the Raptors last night? A lot of people did. Big, as, big as, audience. As much as I could. They start too late. Uh, they do start very late. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was going to say I think that's because of the California market because you've got one of the California teams. But they always... Well, the, the NBA always starts their finals, even if it's two Eastern teams. They want to get the whole country yeah. latched on. Well, so. it's starting at 5 o'clock on the West Coast. is a bit early, right? <clears throat> I thought the Raptors were in trouble after the first quarter because they had so many open shots they were missing. Now listen to me talking like a basketball guy. No, I, but they did. I'm thinking you, you can't get those shots back when you need them. You can't get those three-pointers back. And they probably probably should have had another eight or nine points. At least. At um, least. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you're only going to make half, but if they were 50% better than they already were and they were open shots, lots of that, time. See, that's, the, that's the difference. Them. That's the difference, Don. It's not that you're shooting a, let's say, 40%. If you've got contested shots, you're not going to hit 50% of the contested shots. Nobody's expecting you to. But when you have wide open shots, you should hit 60, 65% of those wide open shots. And they weren't. And what happened in game one was they were falling. Yep. Yep. That big guy, what's his name? Gas, uh, G-A-S. Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol, yeah. Yep. He was dropping them. And he looked like he was throwing an anvil in the first quarter. And for good reason, Golden State got four guys standing beside Kawhi Leonard, so he can't get the ball. Although he still did. I know. Kawhi Leonard is still That's how good he is. Yep. But we're going to let Radley and Robertson take all the time they think they need to miss, and we'll take the ball when it hits the rim. Here, and it worked. Here's why I am worried for the Raptors now. Because I said on this show and on, I think it was Scott Thompson's show earlier in the week, they can beat Golden State, but they have to be, they have to play a nearly perfect game because Golden State is that good. Yes, they can't make, they can't do what they did. They can't miss those shots. They have to play at a, probably a level of about 90% efficiency. Yeah. And, hope that Golden State play at a 75% efficiency, and that equates to the win. If they both play at a 90% efficiency rate, then Toronto was likely going to be in trouble, and Golden State are playing without their best player. Can and you imagine was, playing without Leonard? And that was the part that I was just going to say that I hadn't factored in. And you want the Raptors, you think the Raptors need to play nearly perfect, and I still believe that, but also you've got a Golden State team where apparently Steph Curry who's arguably their best player, allegedly or supposedly has the flu. Their next best player is out with a screwed-up calf muscle. Their next best player leaves the game just after halftime with some sort of strained hamstring, and you still can't win. They're going to get... So and this was, that, this was the game that was gifted to you because of all the injuries, yep. and you let this one slip away. That, to me, is the reason why I'm concerned for them is... Because it can only get worse for them as... Uh, guys get healthy? If they get healthy? Curry's going to get more healthy. Now, if the guy's got a strained um, hamstring 
and he's going to be out. I mean, the stars may be aligning for them. They're fine on the road. They know how to play on the road. The, the stars are aligning, but you have to take advantage of it when it's there. The longer the series goes, in my uneducated opinion, the more the scale will tip to the former champions. One of these days, Kevin Durant is going to be back on the court. Now, and he's arguably one of the top two or three players in the league, and you're adding him to the mix. If you haven't... Even at 60%, because you, you, you can't be sitting out and then come back at 100% in the finals. It won't happen. I just worry they've let this... They've had, they've, they had this chance to get their second win, and then if you could have won one of two in Golden State... You win it at home in five. Maybe, but you got three cracks at getting... You get three cracks wow. then to try and win that that last game. The Leafs had two cracks at Boston, and now Boston look like they might win a Stanley Cup. So that doesn't always work. But you're right. You want three. Chances but you also to would win have had two game. of those at home. You would have had two of those yeah. at home. And you know, interestingly, last Thursday, I was wa- I was wa- I was following on Twitter during the game yesterday. Last Thursday, I think it was, we had Ron Foxcroft on the show. And talking about refereeing, because I said, and he acknowledged, he goes, oh yeah, they're guaranteed in this series, the refs are going to come under fire, because they always do. And he was explaining how, the, what the process was, and blah, blah, blah. Man, there was a belief among Toronto fans yesterday that the refs were gifting Golden State with that game. Well, it looked like they got jobbed. It was goaltending, and I, you know, I don't... Uh, the goaltending I understand better are guys with uh, catching mitts and big fat pillows on their legs. But the one shot was going down and he popped it out. Like you can't do that. Well, I, I, I but, do that in high school. But see, that to me was a was a miss. I mean, it, it happened so fast. I didn't even see it when it happened in real time. So I can understand the refs not seeing it. Yeah, but they're it. supposed to. I know, but it's some, there, there are things that happened so fast you didn't see where his hand was. Foxcroft wouldn't have missed it. I, I agree with that. Yep. I agree with that. And there was a double dribble on Clay Thompson where he gets the ball, dribbles it back to himself, picks it up, and then starts dribbling again. There are things I don't believe. I don't believe that those were referees going, oh, I'm not going to call that, so I give it to Golden State. Well, they're not trying to make sure they're Toronto not lose. No, no. But I do think, I do think, and I don't know how you correct this because you have humans. I do believe that unintentionally, the champions do get a little more leeway in any sport at any time. If you are believed to be the champions in a referee's mind, I'm not, it's not a bias thing, not intentionally, but I think there are times wh- or when you don't want to put someone in trouble. Because as far as I'm concerned, watching that game, uh, Boogie Cousins, this big center, had six fouls in the first three minutes. He got called for two of them. But he had six fouls, but no referee... Wants to get rid of the guy in the first. Get rid of the guy in the first three minutes, and so you're going to give someone leeway. That's that's and that if it had been the other way around, I think they probably would have not blown Gasol on three or four fouls in the first three minutes. They give them a couple, and then it's human nature that. But it just boy, yesterday, Twitter was going berserk with the fact that the NBA is fixing this again and on and on. My point is, why does the NBA want to fix it at this point? What what is the upside to the NBA fixing the championship at this point? I understand the belief, I don't agree with it, but I've always understood the idea that well we don't want a Canadian team to advance because it screws up our TV ratings. But they're there now. They're there. There's no next step. 
This is, you've got what you've got. There's nothing you can do yeah. about that. So what would be the point of having Toronto, why would you want to make sure Toronto doesn't win? What's the upside to the NBA for that? Especially when you've got an entire country that is jumping on the bandwagon that you can sell stuff to an entire country. Yeah, but that, that, that accomplishment has uh, already happened. I think there's still room. I think that if they win, I think there is yeah, still room for people to be more on the bandwagon. I, I, I guess I'm too honest. It's probably my profession as a realtor that you just, you just, you have to tell the truth. But the NBA and there isn't a profession, the Major League Baseball, they, they don't try and prevent Toronto from winning a championship. They don't care if it's Toronto or Carolina. I just don't see what the upside would be at this point. When people say they want Golden State to win, Explain to me what is the benefit to the NBA right now of wanting Golden State to win. Well, Toronto's a bigger market. Not, now, not in the States. That's the problem. It would be interesting to see, and I haven't uh, looked at it. I mean, I, I don't even know the numbers for last night's game. I'm sure they're huge on who, I'm sure. who, who, who watched. I'm sure the ratings are probably down in the States if the Knicks were playing, for example, or Cleveland or whoever else. But I wonder what the overall ratings are if you include last year's Canadian numbers and the U.S. numbers versus the total number now. Because we've pr- assuredly well, pro- asked, added 2 million people. Pro-rated. What? So, well, well, pro-rated. Pro sure, so I'm going. saying there's 10 times more Americans. So take now what the NBA finals were last year. So we've got 10% of our country watching. More than 10%. You had a quarter of the country watching game seven and more than that for game eight. Uh, for game one, pardon me, of the finals. Well, three, it was 3.2, wasn't it? But it topped out, that was the average, but it topped out at 6.8 million. Oh, it did? It topped out at 6. Point, and that's not including, they weren't counting all the people in Jurassic Park who were watching on a screen or all the people in bars. You can only have number of TVs that are on. People so go to bars? So it's probably closer to eight or nine million yeah. people yeah, watching. Probably a third. A, a quarter to a third of the country yeah. was watching. So again, tell me if you're the NBA, what's the reason you've got most of the, most of the, most of the United States audience is sick to death of Golden State winning. There's no upside to having them win again. I listened to a little bit of ESPN radio on the weekend and based on that and social media and rumor, there are a lot of people in the U.S. cheering for the Raptors because they hate Golden State because Golden State's kicks a snot out of all of their teams and Canada is just such a lovable place. Like their coach said, they even chirp politely. Like, you know, when they're yelling at you, they're very polite about how they yell at you up here. I mean, he's becoming like, they're not going to yell at him because they like him. I just don't, I, I just don't see when all the people are on Twitter and everywhere else talking about the bias against Canada, I'm waiting for someone to explain why that would be a thing. Why at this point, I, you you can have all the arguments you want up until this point about their TV ratings and everything else, but that's not applicable right now. What's the point in the finals? Why you would say that it would be better for the NBA to have the Raptors lose? And I have not, I have yet to hear an argument. Well, first of all, I don't think the NBA are in on that. I don't. Of course I don't, not. I don't believe it's a conspiracy uh, of course theory. Not. But answer me this, because you're far more clever at these things than I am. Did Barack Obama go to the NBA finals last year? I find it interesting that he chose to go to an NBA final game in Toronto. Only because he was in Ottawa the night before giving a speech. So he was already basically here. 
Same why Rory McIlroy was at the game last night, because he's going to be in Hamilton for the Canadian Open. I'm not sure that Rory McIlroy is flying in from Ireland to watch unless he's in the neighborhood. Let, let me let me tell you, uh, uh, Stephen Harper was to come to opening night of the uh, 2014 Allen Cup game, and the schedule got changed uh, basically because of the tragic death, death of Jim Flaherty as uh, one of his cabinet ministers. But the RCMP people that I talked to, and the effort it goes in to have a prime minister come to a public event like a hockey game where it's not scheduled and it's not paid attendance and it's not a dinner is there's a lot of effort that goes into it. And it was a last minute change. It changed on Saturday and I understood it. It would have been nice to have the prime minister in Dundas, but I understood it. Can you imagine putting the former prime or the president of the United States in a building with 18,000 other people? I do think the security. That so it's it's a lot. I do think that probably the fact that he was the former president makes it different than if he was the sitting president. They still are protecting him, but not. It's not the same. I'm not sure they would have protected the sitting president. It's not the same. Um, but no, he was he was in the neighborhood, so he he showed up. I frankly, tell me how it is that Drake, who there's video of Drake, you know, schmoozing up Obama. How come Drake didn't give him his tickets? Would that not be something that you would have done? Mr. President, here, please take my t- take my seats. I don't think Drake's going to. That's what I'm saying. Drake could have flown around his private plane. Uh, I hope I hope for the sake of everybody watching, because there are many people, many, many, many people, millions of people watching. I hope the Raptors did not gack their chance last night. Me too. And make it really impossible for themselves to. To come back in this, it's just, now they've been down before, they've had bad games in the playoffs before and rebounded, but uh, boy, that was, that game was just there for them to take. And I don't have a Leaf jersey. I don't have a former NHL jersey. I don't have jerseys from winning Allen Cups and pro championships. I went to three places on uh, Friday looking for Raptor We the North t-shirts with no success. Nope, they're all gone. All sport, uh, two of them were sports places, and I'm going like, really? They can't keep them in. That's we the North, and here's me, and I don't do that. I have one hockey sweater. You know what it's for? What team it's for? Charlestown Chiefs. <laughs> True. If I was going to have one, that would be a number Reggie seven. Number Dunlop. seventeen, Hanson on the back. Dunlop was seven. Yeah, I don't know which one of the Hansons wore seventeen, but one of the Hansons. Well, there was only one Hanson. Well, in the sh- in the movie, there were three, but three. the guys, Dave and Steve Carlson, were Carlson the uh, were two the, actors. They were the tough guys. So was Hanson. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. In studio with Don Robertson. Uh, it's been a few years since you were in elementary or high school. Well, that's the same for both of us. Did you ever play dodgeball? Sure. Did you like dodgeball? <laughs> sure I did. So... Especially if you can wing it off somebody's melon. Well, hundreds of academics are presently gathering in Vancouver for the annual Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences. And there was a presentation given this week by a number of the academics arguing that dodgeball is an unethical tool of oppression. That is everything that is wrong with education 
it is not just unhelpful, as a quote, to the development of kind and gentle children who will become decent citizens of a liberal democracy. It's actively harmful to this process. The hidden curriculum in dodgeball is far more nefarious than your average gym class runaround. Dodgeball is miseducative because it reinforces the five faces of oppression as defined by the late Iris Marion Young, a social and political theorist at the University of Chicago. Um, it goes on and on and on. That Essentially, dodgeball and the baby seal hunt are at the same level of immorality. The way I played it, played it, I would agree with everything that that committee came up with. We were, we were, we were playing one day, and I nailed a couple of guys. And now you're running around. A guy's got the ball, and he looks at me. I said, "I wouldn't do that." And he didn't. He threw it at another guy. So you can intimidate guys, like right? I mean, if I got it, I was going to jam it down his throat. So I just looked at him. I said, "I wouldn't do that," and he didn't. So, based on my personal experience. That's a very accurate assessment. There were only two places when you were playing dodgeball, if you were a guy, there were only two places you were aiming. Yep. One was the face and one was the lower face. Yes. (laughs) For lack of a better Because you were a high school kid and you were an idiot, right? I mean, that's what I did. But you You think back and go, that was pretty cruel, but uh, what the heck. But you also had testosterone and all this stuff. Yeah. and I just, I, I look at this and, and uh, maybe I'm just not jumping into the intellectual academic bandwagon. And I understand that some people probably were not big fans of playing dodgeball, but I really find it hard to believe that, which the theory here is that A, dodgeball victimized people and B, that it turned the enjoyers of dodgeball into crappy citizens who were... I don't even know. It goes on and on. I don't know. I think that article is pretty good. Like, if you were a wimp, you were going to take a beating. And if you're a wimp and you have no self-esteem, dodgeball was not a good game in high school. You were not, the the wimpy guys were not going to walk out of the gym proud of themselves. But They'd were be they, carrying somebody else's books. But, and, Don, with, okay. I, now, do I look back at it and say that's the right way to do it? Of course it's not. But well, that's the way it was. But what activity in gym class was an event or an activity that the, for lack of a better term, the wimpy kids who were not good at gym walked out of the gym feeling good about themselves? What was, what was, if you had a... Yeah, but they didn't limp out or walk out with a concussion. It's it's dodgeball. You're not doing it with bowling balls throwing at them. It was a soft red rubber ball that bounced off them. It was no fun. Oh, come on. Here's the question I have about this, though. And, and I know that dodgeball was a physical game, so you could get hit with a ball. Although, again, we're not talking about cannonballs that are being thrown at them. They are soft, bouncy balls. But anyway, we have many people who make lots of cases about what happens in sports. That sports is about bullying and sports is about toxic masculinity or all these different things. People lose their minds in, parents lose their minds in sports and all this kind of stuff. How come I've never heard complaints when they say, oh, everybody's got to make the team. We can't cut anybody, right? You, it's, it's, it's someone's uh, self-esteem. We have to keep everybody on the team who tries out. You get that at school all the time. My son, when he was in grade seven or eight at school, they had a volleyball team. And I think they had like 24 kids on it because we weren't allowed to cut anybody because everyone gets a turn. And yet you never have that when it comes to band. There's a first trumpet, there's a second trumpet, there's a first violin, there's a second violin. You never have that with school play. Somebody gets the lead, somebody's in the chorus, somebody's a tree. 
you never have that in science fair where everybody gets to win the science fair. Sports is the only place where people seem to have a problem with, again, for lack of a a proper, a different word, Darwinian results. It's the only place where we seem to have a problem with strong doing well or strong rising to the top where we've got to even the playing field for everybody. We don't have it in any other facet of our education system. Uh, You're right. It builds character in all those other categories except sport. I've, I've imagine if you use the same philosophy as everybody gets a turn in a school play. And so for your school play, this is probably a little more complicated than for a school play, but you're doing Les Mis. Everybody gets to be Jean Valjean or Cosette, and we don't have any of the other parts because everybody gets to be the lead. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And yet in sports, we're saying everybody has to, you all get a participation badge, you all get a trophy, you all get to be on the team, you all get equal playing time. Seems to me those are two comparable things, and yet we treat them entirely differently. I like your analogy. Well, uh, plays and things like that weren't always like that. In our grade eight graduation, the first graduating class out of Dr. John Seton School in Sheffield when they amalgamated everybody in Beverly, and, and that's where I graduated from. And there were three of us because at the, uh, the graduation night, everybody had to sing O Canada. And finally, the guy that was running, the lady that was running it, come up and basically told me and two other kids, we just want you to lip the words. So that I feel defeated. I knew I couldn't sing. Me and two other guys weren't allowed to sing. Is that fair? I mean, I didn't turn into a do they still wallflower. Have, do they still have academic awards for school? I, do you still get a science prize if you're the top kid in science or, or English or drawing? They do. I only ever got the sports one. No, no, but they still do. You have the end of school assembly and they have awards for academics. Well, they're getting rid of valedictorian. But why, why is it okay to be seen as the best in math or the best in science or the best in history because it's an academic pursuit. Your brain is the best, but I'm not allowed to physically be the best at something because we all have to be equal on this side of the table. It makes no sense to me. No, there agree. are there are kids, boys and girls, who are never going to be the smartest kid in the class. They're never going to be the one who wins that award, but they may be physically gifted and really good at sports. So why should they be told... Everyone's got to be equal to you. You're not allowed to. I remember w- one place where we were, uh, again, my son playing in some, I can't remember what sport it was now, where they told them, you can't try as hard. We don't want you to try as hard because the other team is getting beat up. You have to step it back a little bit. So we, oh, it was in hockey. There was a kid who was a former AAA player. He decided not to play hockey anymore. AAA he wanted to play house league because he wanted other things to do. And they came and said, you have to not try as hard. And he's like, Why? Why? Just because I'm the best player on the ice, why should I be penalized? Because I'm good at something. So if I'm in science class and you're getting 99% and I'm getting 70% and I'm feeling badly because you're beating me, should they go to you and say, Don, we need you to fail your next couple tests so that Scott feels better about himself? That was a real bad example, but I understand. No, you're right. They, they, they don't do it in academics at all, as a matter of fact. Or in arts. Or in arts. Never do it in arts. Well, I, I mean, to take it to a different level, there are the academic standards to get into some universities is far different than others. Like, you know, you we all know, guy, your kids have been through it, right? You you send your marks away and you your kids probably are smart because um, their mother's, than very, me. Yep. Very, mother's very clever. But, you know, there, there are certain schools that are 
um, deem far more academic. Well, is that not a form of prejudice? Well, if I can get into Harvard and I'm going to have a great job at the end of it, why should I not be allowed to get in? It's hurting my self-esteem that I didn't get into Harvard. The only place where we have decided that you are not permitted to excel and we must either hold you down or raise the whole field so everyone gets the same is in sports. And I've not understood it. And, and this is just another example of a bunch of academics who probably, to their credit, probably all finished first in their class in various courses and never thought for a second that, well, wait a second, I'm getting an award here because I finished first in my class and someone else might not be feeling good about themselves. Never thought about that. But here, probably because they were the ones getting pinged in I the head. I was going to say, you know who they were? They were the guys I was bouncing off their melon and their the cojones. So this must be horrible. For them. For them. But you go to school, go to your t- kid's school sometime and say, you know what? I believe that we should have no academic awards this year and that everybody should have equal parts in the school play and in the band and see how that goes over. Give everybody that passes a participation badge like they do in, in minor sports now. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Treat them all equal so they don't feel inferior. If you, if you are the person who gets the ball pinged off your head in, vol- in, in dodgeball, first of all, don't wear your glasses because they could break. But second of all, you know what? So that's one area of your life that you yeah. did poorly in. Well, I, I had a, one of my best buddies in high school was 95 and everything. And I never begrudged him one bit because I never applied myself. I did what I needed to do. You know, it was hard to learn math in high school when you're standing in the hall and the rest because you because you were a pain in the neck and the other kids got to stay in the classroom of course you're going to fall behind because I, I you know you get in trouble you stand in the hall or they throw you I wish I'd thought of this years ago because the one sport or one of the sports that I was really bad at was running and every year we had to do a cross country run it was a whole school cross country run and everybody had to participate I wish I'd thought of this to say we cannot do the cross country run this year because I might not win and I might actually be in pain as I run, discomfort as I run, and I should not have to face that. Therefore, this run should be canceled because it is a sign of oppression. In 2019, that might fly. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have fly, flew in the 80s. It might fly now. you were in high school. It might fly now. 90s, maybe. 70s, 80s, 90s. <laughs> and that was just elementary school. I was going to say, well, they move you along because you were older than the teachers? That's true. That's right. When you could grow a full beard in grade three, <laughs> it got a little creepy with the other kids in there. What's Mr. Radley doing in here? Yeah. <laughs> Remedial math. <laughs> the Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.